Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host. It's been so fun this year uh, on the podcast. We have just seen the listeners growing and growing and growing and this last series that we've done on evidence for our faith has just blown up. Loads of you really loving that series uh, and lots of new listeners picked up from that series which is really exciting now I'm in the middle of my sabbatical or study leave like what is that well having been at All Hallows the church that I lead for 12 years uh, you get a bit of study break you get three months to go and get invested into to learn yourself something new maybe and spend some time in reflection I've been writing my doctorate in the middle of, of, of writing that at the moment and uh, and I'm kind of putting that down now and I'm heading out uh, to spend some time with friends in the US. So this is my last episode until September. We're going to have a bit of a slightly longer summer break than usual as I have some time to, to reflect and to pray, be invested in and spend time with others. So this is going to be the last episode before September when we come back with a bang, but 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 have i got an episode for you today so today we are going to be exploring which gospel do we believe in and live our lives by well chris how can you say that there is only one gospel gospel of Jesus's death and resurrection there is only one gospel chris C- correct there is but there are different interpretations of that gospel and the knock-on effect of your interpretation of that gospel can radically change how you live your life, how you understand Jesus and what you tell others about Jesus. And what I want to do in this episode today is explore what I'm calling the six gospels, the six different gospels that I see being preached in the church. And I want to kind of bring us to a place of saying, actually, this is the gospel I think we should be preaching. And it may well be that as you hear these six gospels, you see something of the church that you attend in. Please don't see this as me being judgmental or or, or challenging the the church that that you go to. But I just want you to question, which is the gospel that you surround yourself by, live yourself by and are being shaped by? And I hope that this is a bit of an eye opener for us because we don't always think about, well, what is it? What is the gospel? What is the actual gospel that I believe and, and that I, I live out? Because sometimes we can say we think that the gospel looks like this, this particular idea, but then we end up living out a totally different gospel. Uh, we, we, and you'll see, I'm going to explain how those Gospels are lived out. So what I want to do is I'm going to talk about the, the, the different Gospel messages. I mean, I've entitled them. I'm going to talk about what's the key theology in them. I'm going to talk about what that ends up then creating. And then uh, maybe where we might see that in the Bible. Or where that idea, that particular theological idea of that, that Gospel has come from. So that's what we're going to do today. And I really hope that you find this interesting because if we get the gospel wrong, the ramifications can be huge. And you'll see what I mean by that. Uh, when you have an idea, when you play that idea out to the very end, where you get to at the end may not be where you want to get to. You suddenly realise that at the trajectory of that particular 
theological thought can take you somewhere you don't actually want to be. So that's what we're going to look at today. So friends, it's been a great year this year on the Making Disciples podcast. We, When I say year, I'm often thinking uh, school years with, with this podcast. Uh, it's been a great kind of term. It's been a great year. I hope you've been blessed by it. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is by buying us a coffee. It takes a lot of time putting uh, effort and energy and thought into crafting these podcasts. Uh, it takes a lot of time to sit down and think through uh, what a 30-minute podcast might be, and that's often over a cup of coffee. So if you want to support us, then the way you can do that is by buying us a coffee. Now, those of you that have supported the podcast uh, in the last kind of uh, number of months, uh, friends, can I just say a massive thank you to you? Uh, that money has now been drawn down from Buy Me A Coffee and it's heading out with me to the US uh, to spend some time in prayer and, and reflection as I hang out. Basically, I'm going to be on my own visiting friends out there for a number of weeks before my family join me. So I'm going to be using that money to just chill, to read, to reflect and to get ready for September uh, and all that that entails. So massive, massive thank you to you for supporting this podcast but also supporting me as I can then invest into just thinking about where we, you know, what we cover for next term. So massive thank you. Anyway, here we go. Which gospel do we follow or which gospel uh, are we living out? So let's jump straight in to explore the different kinds of gospel message. Here we go. Which gospel? So I want to argue that there are six different interpretations of the gospel. Uh, I've entitled them, uh, and I'm not necessarily in total agreement with the titles that I have created, uh, but they're just frameworks for me to help me think through what these different gospels look like. So I want to argue that there are six different interpretations of the gospel. Uh, I'm not going to give you them all. I'm going to go, go through them one by one uh, and kind of just unpack them lightly with you. So the first gospel that I heard here preached quite a lot is what I would describe as a gospel of forgiveness only. Gospel of forgiveness only. And the key theology uh, behind that gospel is one that says be forgiven. Be forgiven. And the implication of this so let me just read to you a couple of bible passages so 1 john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness 1 john 1 9 or hebrews 8 12 for i will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more so this gospel of forgiveness only now what i'm gonna to have to say as i walk through these is there's uh elements of each of these gospels that i think are true but if that is the only element of the gospel that you hear preached you are missing out on everything else okay so what i'm doing is i'm slightly caricaturing the the, the golden thread in this kind of theology so this first theology of forgiveness only key theology is be forgiven jesus wants to forgive you uh, so in this theology 
The Christian faith is purely about you are a sinner and you need to be forgiven from your sins. But following Jesus, actually then living out your faith uh, in all its ways, it becomes optional. Uh, what this theology says is it, it essentially leads to this idea of sanctification, passivity. Uh, it's this idea that once you are saved or once you have been cleansed from your sin, uh, you can then just carry on with life. You can be passive for the rest of your life. It's, it's purely about um, what I would describe as sin management. And, and often I associate this line of theology with Willy Wonka. It's this idea that uh, to get to heaven, uh, you are a sinner and you just need to be forgiven. Once you're forgiven, you get your golden ticket. And once you've now got your golden ticket, then you just need uh, to keep hold of that golden ticket for the day that you die. Uh, and when you get to the pearly gates, you'll be able to hand in your, your golden ticket to access heaven. So this line of the gospel is purely about uh, getting you to heaven. So it's about forgiveness of sins. It's about the golden ticket and it's getting to heaven. And what I often say around this gospel is uh, it essentially ignores or uh, disregards Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and it focuses on the gospel starting from Genesis 3. So Genesis 3 says that Adam and Eve had eaten the apple, they were sinners and they, they needed to be forgiven of the sin that they had created by eating the apple. So Adam and Eve are sinners uh, in Genesis 3 and therefore Jesus comes to die on a cross to forgive Adam and Eve, humanity, for our sinfulness so the gospel becomes about jesus coming to forgive you from your sin but what it's done is it's neglected genesis 1 and 2 in genesis 1 we, we're told that we are created in the image of god and in genesis 2 we're told that god has created us and places in a garden to tend dress and care for creation we're meant to be co-partners with god so the gospel is not simply jesus coming to die for your sin uh, the gospel is a gospel that says actually jesus has uh, invited you to be a co-partner with him and that his death on the cross is about bringing you back to this place of being a co-conspirator a co-partner with God in God's work so the forgiveness gospel essentially ignores Genesis 1 and 2 and God wanted to partner with you and it just says you're a sinner and you need saving to get to heaven but friends the gospel is bigger than that God wants you to partner with him in his work and therefore, Jesus' death on the cross is not about simply forgiving you from sin. Jesus doesn't die to simply save you from something. He dies to save you for something, to be a partner with God. So the simply the gospel of forgiveness only, be forgiven, is neglecting actually that God has created you to be a partner with him. And it's made it all about you need to be forgiven from your sin so you can get to heaven. So the gospel is more than a forgiveness only gospel. The second gospel I want to explore with you is what I'm entitling the liberal gospel. And it's a gospel that its key theology simply says this, uh, we need to help the needy. There's poor that need to be helped. The gospel becomes a gospel of uh, we need to help people because they are poor. And it simply comes from this gospel of Jesus wanting to... Uh, bring health i guess 
to the leper, uh, to the widow and to the orphan. And it becomes a gospel of meeting people where their needs are and their needs being met by Jesus. And it, and it neglects their spiritual needs and it focuses on their, their physical needs. So often it manifests in churches running food banks and homeless shelters and youth clubs and work for domestic violence and that kind of stuff, But it, which is all amazing and should happen. But it focuses on the physical needs without actually there becoming a gospel proclamation. There's no invitation to forgiveness of sin because it's about meeting people's needs. And this liberal gospel, it accommodates to culture. So it tries to connect with culture and uh, almost allow certain behaviors in culture to be okay. Uh, you can be a, fo a follower of Jesus and it'll still be okay to sleep with your girlfriend. Uh, it's okay to have whatever boundaries on your sex life. You can do whatever you like. Uh, why am I using sex? Because actually that's um, something that really defines our culture right now. You know, the big debate around sexuality. Um, that That's kind of uh, where our culture is at. And, and this liberal gospel tries to appease culture without there being a, a challenge to culture. Uh, everything goes. Everything is okay that culture says. And the gospel tries to become something that applies, uh, you know, through love um, to the world. Uh, without actually any challenge so truth becomes optional you can pick and choose which truth uh, you uh, want to to live your life by it's up to you it's about helping but it's not about truly liberating from sin it's about helping people physical needs but not their spiritual needs and it's and it goes so far to believe god is love and therefore judgment is out of date god is love uh, so a key Bible passage for the liberal gospel would be simply, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, what that gospel does is it almost ignores the second part of that line. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then it keeps it there. This whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It ignores the perishing part uh, almost um, to the point of, uh, well, nobody will perish uh, because God, God, God will make it all right in the end. And it's essentially uh, deletes hell. It deletes judgment. It's about meeting people's needs right now and telling them that it will all be okay. One day you'll make it to heaven where everything will be perfect. And the life that you're living now is pretty naff, uh, but one day it will be okay. Uh, so it, it's this idea that God will make it well in the end. And ultimately this leads to a, a no need to rush to evangelize. Uh, because you don't you don't need uh, essentially to uh, come to faith in Jesus because because Jesus will just do it for you. And it's about accommodating to culture. Uh, it's about saying, you know, um, you can keep doing what you want to do. Uh, but Jesus is still there. So what you end up finding is people come to church. They want to pray to Jesus to meet their needs uh, and to help people. But actually, it doesn't change the way that they live or the way that they um, think that they need to behave, uh, you know, it comes to ethics and that, and that kind of stuff. So it's a liberal gospel. It's about meeting people's physical needs, but not about their spiritual needs. And it does not uh, impose upon anybody a change of behavior. There's no behavior change. So forgiveness gospel, 
talk about the liberal gospel. Let's talk about the prosperity gospel uh, for a moment. So the prosperity gospel is one that key theological thinking is this, that you need to claim your kingdom right. You are a son and daughter of the Most High and you need to claim what belongs to you. It places you or the person at the centre and it believes this prosperity gospel that Jesus has come to die for you to be bring blessing to you. God will bless you. And it ultimately makes God a vending machine. Uh, we can manage God and we can get him to serve our agenda uh, in whatever way. So uh, I want a better job. Therefore, God, I'm going to claim your blessing in my life that you are going to give me the perfect job. Uh, because I'm your son and daughter and that you want to bless me and you want to give me the best uh, and therefore give me Lord the, the the perfect job the perfect life the perfect partner the perfect home the perfect children dot 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 it's looking all for earthly blessings uh, and it comes out this spirit of entitlement I'm entitled to live the perfect life and therefore uh, the gospel is one that says Jesus comes to bring our blessing. Let me just read a couple of passages to you that, that end up being used in this kind of thinking. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through his richness, uh, yet for the sake he became poor, so that you might, uh, that, but, so, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Prosperity gospel. Jesus came to die for you so that you might become rich rich now rather than that richness being seen as a spiritual richness life uh, filled um, uh, fulfilled in terms of uh, I am fulfilled and content with what I've got it becomes about uh, rich in terms of wealth Deuteronomy 8 19 you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth uh, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers your forefathers as it is this day it becomes about God giving you power to become wealthy uh, and and in this prosperity gospel uh, when you give your life to Jesus then your life will now be blessed you will walk in a river of blessing the overflow of God's blessing and you tithe so that you may become more blessed so tithing and gift giving to God it's not an act of worship. It's an act of seed investment so that you may reap a bigger reward. So uh, I heard somebody, I was visiting a church just this weekend because I'm sabbatical, I'm visiting other churches. The church I was at, the, the person at the front said, when you give your tithe, you are planting a seed and you will be re you'll be uh, blessed abundantly uh, as a reward back. So your tithe becomes a seed of which God will then bless you back. So even your giving to God is actually about you getting back. It's like you're investing into a bank and that you will get your dividends back. Uh, so it, the prosperity gospel makes it all about your blessing and the abundance of your life. Okay, uh, in contrast to that, you know, Jesus never makes that promise. 
Uh, in fact, he says that there will be adversity, there will be challenge. Uh, you, they end up reading the, the, this kind of gospel into Job. You know, Job goes through hell, but at the end he's blessed and he has a new family and he has new wealth. So it's, again, this prosperity gospel, rather than uh, the story of Job in the story of somebody going through hell uh, and that, that, that God somehow brings resurrection. But that resurrection becomes about prosperity and blessing rather than about God's redemption. Uh, so the prosperity gospel. Then you've got the consumer gospel. God meets our needs. The consumer gospel uh, promises us um, that um, God is coming to uh, make your life easier. So the consumer gospel promises us an on-the-go spirituality, a convenience spirituality, a speed uh, spirituality you know uh, it, church meetings become fast because uh, it's about you just turning up kind of clocking in it becomes about soundbite theology so people don't even come to church they just use Instagram to find some soundbite theology that makes them feel better and kind of edified um, it's about instant results this consumer gospel is one that is permeating many, many churches. Uh, you turn up to church to consume rather than to give and be part of that family. You turn up, uh, you receive from it, and then you walk away, uh, not actually have, having played your part in it. It's not about a family. It's about being self-indulgent. Uh, there's an impatience in there. It leads to looking for a church that fits you, uh, fits your life. Uh, your life is busy therefore you find a church that fits around your busyness rather than uh, I'm a follower of Jesus and therefore he's center in my life and that church becomes the most important thing to me and I'll find work and, and, and a job around honoring Jesus it becomes about Jesus coming to honor the business of your life so it leads to this addiction to desire uh, which means uh, turning up to church becomes about you turning up to consume from it so you can get back into the workplace to keep working hard for the God of your workplace uh, so Jesus becomes uh, the pit stop to help you better in life uh, rather than you honoring Jesus with the whole of your life so Philippians 4 19 uh, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his richness in glory uh, in Jesus Christ so the gospel becomes one that says uh, your life is busy you are tired and exhausted because of your work uh, and therefore come to Jesus uh, he knows you're burnt out and he wants to meet you in that place of need. Now, let me make this very clear. Jesus is one that we can come to when we are burnt out and we need Jesus to come and meet us in that place. But the gospel calls us out of the rhythm of this world into a new life uh, that is a life of simplicity. Uh, it's a life that's not about consumerism and buying and purchasing and, and striving for more. It's a come and be content with who you are in Jesus Christ and he will meet all of your needs. Um, but yes, church is a place to come when you're exhausted, when you're burnt out, when you've given everything out to everybody else. Yes, of course, it's about coming to Jesus. But if we're treating Jesus as just this well that we turn up to, this oasis that we turn up to, to just take, keep taking from. Uh, you remember the gospel is a gospel of partnership with God co-conspiratory 
work with God, kingdom work with God. Uh, therefore, it's not just about turning up to church to just receive, to get back out there. It's about coming and learning about what it means to partner with God and live your life differently from God. So uh, what I don't want to say is don't receive from Jesus. Because of course we're there to receive from Jesus. But this line of gospel, this consumer gospel, if that's all we're living by, then we turn Jesus into nothing but a cosmic vending machine of which we're coming to receive from him so that we can spend our energies building the kingdom of this world rather than kingdom of his world. So the consumer gospel, God is meeting our needs. So that's, let me just remember, you've got the forgiveness gospel, the liberal gospel, the prosperity gospel, the consumer gospel. Let's talk about the fifth gospel, the religious gospel. Now, the religious gospel simply says, you are to be right. You are a religious person. You need to lead a religious, holy life. And, and therefore, uh, the, the key theology is about being right and correcting other people's wrongs. You now know the gospel and this has made you right and therefore because you've got the right gospel and therefore and therefore you need to tell others that they are wrong so it creates uh eventually a religious or theological swagger people are saved because they are theologically right it creates this exclusiveness i'm in the right club and you aren't therefore you're excluded unless you choose the gospel that i believe and you behave the way that i think you should behave and then you are in uh this exclusive club so it creates a detachment and a separation from others uh it's it's about actually if you are not going to live the way the life that i think you should live and how i think you should live it because i'm religiously right then i'm going to push you away until you change and then you can come uh, and be a part of uh, what i'm a part of so it leads to joining the right church because those churches are teaching the wrong gospel and the wrong gospel uh, leads to uh, everyone else is wrong and i'm right i've got the right gospel and you lot are all wrong so it leads uh, to this gospel of i'm right you're wrong so where do we see examples of this actually we don't see examples of this in scripture taught by anybody because we're not taught to be religious but we do see examples of it in people's lives. So we see examples of it in the Pharisees, you know, coming to stone the young girl, going to throw stones on her to kill her because they were right and she was wrong. This religiosity, this religious gospel, leads to a place where people uh, believe they're so right that it's okay to take the life of somebody else. So we see it in the life of the Pharisees. We see it in the life of Saul before he becomes Paul we see it in the religious teachers and the teachers of the law and it happens when being right is more important to you than helping others genuinely and it ends up coming to a judgment theology God is going to judge you and therefore you've got to be right because if you're not right you're going to be judged and in that judgment you will be sent to hell so it's this uh very hard line i'm right you're wrong and if you don't choose the gospel that i believe then you'll be judged by jesus and you're going to be sent to hell so it's a very strong conservative religious gospel uh, it's a gospel that is based upon something that is true 
uh, there is judgment we're told in scripture that we you know they will be separating out uh, between uh, the sheep and the goats um, but it, what it does is it, it chooses us as the judge and I get to tell you that I'm right and you are going to be separated out and sent to hell it makes us the righteous ones and we become self-righteous it's dangerous because it's based upon something that is biblically right but actually leads us to a place of self-righteousness and religious swagger it is um, toxic and the devil loves to use this because it, the devil loves to trap us in our religiosity our religious theological rightness and you may be religiously right uh, in the sense of theologically right but actually you're so entrapped by this twisted righteousness that actually it looks more like satan than it does jesus so you've got to be you've got to be really careful with it because it's not that it's wrong but it's the heart behind it that is so wrong uh, that you become you make yourself the powerful one because you've got the religious right gospel so it's all about being right now let, let me underline that many bits of this are right you know we are told that god is going to separate out the, the, you know, the wheat from the chaff like we, we know that, that there's gonna be this time when god is gonna uh, catch up those that are saying yes to him uh, but we've got to be really careful we are definitely not the judge we have not the right to be judged and we've not got the right to, to point the finger um i think we can teach that gospel by saying god really does love you and he, and he wants to be with you um, that there's a danger that, that that right gospel becomes so twisted it becomes a religious conservative right gospel I'm right you're wrong I, I think it it really needs to be carefully handled with this yeah but God blooming loves you so this religious gospel and then it leads me then let me take you to our final gospel we want to call it the kingdom gospel and it's a kingdom gospel uh, that I think draws upon all of the things that we, we've talked about already but tries to bring it all together so it's a gospel of God's love it's a gospel of forgiveness it's a gospel of caring for the needy uh, it's it's a gospel that wants to be a blessing but the blessing is there to be a blessing to others it's a gospel where God wants to meet you in your needs it's a gospel that God wants to meet you in your sinfulness so the kingdom gospel at the heart of the kingdom gospel it the kingdom gospel believes that we have fallen from God's grace and we need his forgiveness and there's a call to follow Christ a call to follow Jesus so the proclamation of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all life this is the kingdom gospel the kingdom gospel is this the proclamation and rule and reign of Jesus Christ over the whole of creation uh, the kingdom gospel says this there's a king on the throne and his name is Jesus we are to honor him as king and in honoring him as king we experience in this place a kingdom outpost a transformation in this place of his rule and reign in our lives it's a gospel of repentance but it's also a gospel of activist uh, the world needs to encounter the love the grace and the mercy of Jesus and the call to discipleship and living for him so followers uh, intend on living to live their life as Jesus lived it so it's not just about forgiveness of sins it's now forgiven for the purposes of living as Jesus a Jesus who is who is 
graceful, merciful, and compassionate. You know, we're not saved to become Pharisees. We're saved to become like Jesus Christ, one who speaks truth, uh, but does it with love and does it with clarity. Uh, a kingdom uh, gospel becomes about uh, the kingdom of God rather than your congregation or your denomination. Um, denominational theology all becomes about us empire building jesus comes to build the kingdom of god so it does not matter what denomination you're a part of if you're following jesus and you're living for jesus then we're here to build the kingdom of god so i'm anglican uh but i don't care if you're anglican baptist methodist vineyard pentecostal uh i i don't care what tribe you're from because I care about the kingdom of God. I care that God's kingdom is what it's all about. When we get to that place of judgment, Jesus ain't going to say, which, which denomination were you a part of? He's going to say, did you, did you love me? Do I know you? And did you join in building my kingdom rather than your tribal kingdom? So for me, it's not about congregations and it's not about denominations. It's about the kingdom of God. So it's about people encountering Jesus and his kingdom. So when people encounter Jesus, it's a kingdom that's wanting to meet their needs, but it's also wanting to meet their spiritual needs, not their physical needs. Uh, so the kingdom theology takes all of these elements that we've talked about in helping others, in uh, meeting people's needs, in being forgiven, uh, living a life that glorifies Jesus. It takes all of these things but brings it together under this understanding of God's rule and reign and his kingdom. So there's three characteristics of the kingdom gospel. Number one, the kingdom of God grows by giving it away. It's not about you getting more. It's about you giving away. You cannot outgive God. You know, generosity is at the heart of the kingdom gospel. Not about you being prosperous, but you giving away, give away, give away giveaway uh, the second characteristic of the gospel is the kingdom gospel teaches us to obey god by living intentionally in the middle of di uh, diversity and ambiguity and difficulty so think about the parable of the wheat and the weeds you find it in matthew 13 24 to 43 in the parable we're told the seeds have been sown and now some of those seeds are growing up surrounded by weeds and the, the 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 wheat and the weeds are left just to grow side by side and it's not until the day of judgment when it will be worked out which are weeds and which are seeds but there's something about the kingdom of god in the midst of trouble adversity difficulty the world we're not called to be separate from the world we're called to be in it uh living for jesus to grow a healthy biblical jesus lives in the midst of the world so we're not meant to be this holy huddle separate from everybody else we're meant to be mixed in the kingdom is mixed in with the weeds with the rest of the world and the kingdom is at work in the midst of um, not not separate from and the third thing about the kingdom theology is this it reminds us that growth is slow uh, but it's about permeating everything. So remember the parable of the yeast, the yeast that is mixed in with the dough that permeates everything and brings total transformation. Kingdom theology says, God has placed me here 
to live a life distinct and beautiful for him that we like a piece of yeast I may bring transformation to my workplace to my family to my street to my neighborhood so it's a gospel that longs to see neighborhood and life transformed because we're living so beautifully so the kingdom gospel is not about mass evacuation to some other place kingdom theology is about yeah there is going to be a time when we live with jesus in the heavenly realms whatever that looks like but it is about the transformation of this place and it is about the kingdom transforming lives right here right now so the, the kingdom matthew 3 2 says this repent the kingdom of heaven is near so the kingdom gospel is one where we are sinners and need to be saved by god's grace but we're repenting because the kingdom of god is transforming now and god wants to be a part of now so there are six different gospels there and i think the kingdom gospel is the one that brings it all together in this rich place where the gospel is about the transformation of our souls the transformation of our lives for the purposes of us being the transformation us being the yeast like the kingdom in the world so there's a danger when we make the gospel nothing about nothing other than forgiveness it becomes about a golden ticket or a liberal gospel it becomes all about nothing but helping the needy a prosperity gospel becomes about us claiming our rights and our lives being blessed it's about us being blessed up consumer gospel is about god meeting our needs so we can just carry on doing what we're already doing without us actually changing anything the religious gospel is about a gospel of being right and religious swagger and getting it correct i think the kingdom gospel is the gospel that we find in scripture it's the one that holds it all together god's blessing as well as difficulty in life and persecution a kingdom where god is ruling yet we are to be under him uh, as his co-conspirators and his workers so i want to challenge you to just think about which is the gospel that you live your life by are you living by the fullness of the gospel or are you living by a part gospel a gospel that's not the whole gospel is there more to your faith is there more to what god wants for you i should say and then the faith that you are living right now is there more richness in the gospel than you've not actually experienced yet is there a challenge in the gospel that you've not experienced yet so that's that's what i want to leave you with today which is the gospel that you are living your life by and actually is there a bigger kingdom gospel that is waiting for you that you've yet you've yet to fully walk in there's a challenge there is a challenge for you i want to just recommend a, a book that so i've been reading a really good book on discipleship recently called uh, conversion uh, and discipleship and that's been helping me just think through what which which of these gospels are we do we live by it's by a guy called bill hull forward by scott mcknight really good book on conversion and discipleship um god does not want to just save you from something he wants to save you for something a life lived for him so you might want to pick that up and have a look at that over the summer so friends have a blessed blessed summer i can't wait to speak again in september it's been a great run if you've not listened to uh all the episodes on making disciples then use the next few weeks to catch up on those episodes that you have not listened to yet but friends until next time grace and peace have a blessed summer and we catch up soon Thank you.